Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my project where I help people with their mindset, their mission, and movement. I've been a helper for over two decades, and in my experience, success for you on an individual level comes back to mindset, mission, and movement. Each and every episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the podcast is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission and your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is the Upgraded Life. This episode features Cami Kennedy. Cami Kennedy is a mindset and life coach that works with high achievers to help them own their health and happiness. She has a background in molecular biology, neuroscience, and psychology, and that helps her provide a framework to practice being your potential self. That's her thing, helping people to be their potential self. She works with recovering perfectionists who embrace challenges as opportunities while practicing self-love and taking inspired action. Now, for me, this was a really great interview. I really appreciate Cami and all that she is and all that she has to offer. She's got an awesome story, and she's living life to the fullest. And for me, she's really embracing what I would call the upgraded life. So I really hope you get something out of this with Cami Kennedy. Hey, and if you're listening to this interview with her and you think, hey, she might be able to help me, reach out to her, right? She's going to give you a, a, a free two-hour coaching session, and that's a huge and generous offer. All you got to do is be bold enough to take action and schedule that appointment with her. And without further ado, here's Cami Kennedy. All right, Cami. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. I'm super excited to have you here. And, you know, first off, I'm going to throw the ball into your court. Uh, tell me kind of what you're presently up to and, and how it is that you're currently helping people, because that's how we connected. If they're both helpers of people. Yes. And thank you so much for finding me on the interwebs. I love <laughs> yes. when this happens. Um, so I'm currently doing life coaching and I mostly focus with recovering perfectionists. And I came from a background of health and fitness for about 10 years and was coaching nutrition and fitness. And about the past three years, I transitioned because people were coming to me for a meal plan, but we weren't talking about, oh, but you're having issues with your boss or you're having issues in your relationship or you know, there's a, there's this underlying feeling of self-worth and worthiness that we need to work on. So I was just getting frustrated handing people meal plans and fitness programs and them going, I can't do this and failing over and over again. So now I focus on mindset and empowerment and really helping people shift from perfectionism into what I call practicing your potential, which is, you know, I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, and a lot of times it'll stop us from trying new things or from doing anything because mm -hmm. we're afraid to fail at it, you know, right. and, and we both have a background in sports. So it's very similar. You have to practice to get good at anything and that's take gonna, the shot. Yeah. So that, and that's going to come up with, with missing the shot mm -hmm. and skinning your knee and falling down. So that's part of the process that I teach is just self-love throughout that mindset process. Awesome. Thanks for that. So that concept of recovering perfectionists. Tell me more about that. What does that look like? And what did it look like for you? Yeah. Well, I first want to address like identifying yourself with, with who you are. So anytime we say, I am this, we pretty much claim it in our, in our presence. Mm -hmm. So this is one of my first things that I do when I'm coaching people is, you know, if you are struggling in an area, instead of saying, well, I'm a perfectionist, this is just the way I am, or I'm a perfectionist and I work better whenever I'm trying to, to read a deadline and I, I'd rather just do it last minute. 
start to ask the question, first of all, is that even serving you? Mm -hmm. And then you ask the question, do I want to continue to claim that into my life? So um, I had always been a perfectionist. Like I can remember, and this, this is a good personal story. I had a, a boyfriend years ago who had a little sister who was special needs and she, we went bowling with her and they put the bumpers up and she bowled and I didn't have the bumpers up and I bowled and I was mad because the special needs child beat me in bowling because oh I wanted goodness. to be good. At, like that's how like competitive and like I wanted to be good at everything. And like clearly that was a vivid memory for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as I've gone across the, like the process of having different jobs and coaching and all this stuff, I'm like, this is not serving me wanting to be perfect at everything. It's kind mm -hmm. of making me an, an asshole. Like that's really how I was showing up in the world. Um, and some people can walk through the world and have that not affect them. And they might get really far. They might be a CEO of a company. Um, but for me, it was causing me a lot of personal pain from always trying to be perfect and wow. better than everybody and being this perfectionist. Yeah. So I started to just say, you know what? I'm going to start talking about my feelings. I'm going to start saying, yeah, I'm not angry. I'm sad. And starting to actually identify that I feel other things other than pride and anger, which is pretty much where I was for so many years. Okay. So I'm going to try to distill some characteristics that I heard, right? The, the recovering perfectionist. So you may be over competitive, right? You have significant amounts of pride, mm. right? And then when that pride gets pricked or poked, you might get angry. What are some other characteristics of the yeah. recovering perfectionist, would you say, that um, you've run across? So I, I think there's a sense probably of worthiness mm. and of trying to earn somebody's love, mm. whether that was mom, dad, mm -hmm. boyfriend, you know, partner, whoever was in your life, teacher, Mm -hmm. That told you when you do this, when you get A's, you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us are always searching for a way to be good enough. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we'll do that by overachieving right. because then we can show people how good we are with our trophies and our achievements. <laughs> you're so talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the competitive and in the sports world, right? Like that's kind of, you know, that that's what drives us is we want to, we want to win. We want to be competitive but then you achieve it. And at the end of the day, that's why there's so many, you know, really successful people, athletes, millionaires that are sick mentally committing suicide because yes. they're realizing it didn't fill my cup. All Absolutely. those trophies, all those awards did not fill my cup. Absolutely. Uh, the concept, one of the things that I did in 2019 was really pick up a reading habit. And so I consumed mm -hmm. 85 books into the wow. 2019. Yeah. And, um, Prior to that, I really didn't have a, a pleasure for reading. I, I read because I had to, but it wasn't something that was on my, oh, I'm going to go read right now and not watch TV. But turned that around in 2019 and came across a book called The, the Red Key Revolution by Jordan Kemper. I haven't heard of this one. Yeah, Red Key Revolution by okay. Jordan Kemper. And this part that you're talking about, the emptiness that comes when you are just pursuing personal success, mm -hmm. right? So Kemper in his book talks about what people need is success and significance, mm -hmm. right? And you have to have personal success in your life. You do need to have those things that you can say, yes, I did this, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I achieved this. But if you're not turning that then into a way of helping other people, mm -hmm. then you don't have a legacy. You don't have significance in your life, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's what plagues a lot of people that have ultra amounts of success, but they're not funneling it in a way that gives back, that leaves a, a positive legacy, not, you know, like a, a, a 
you know, a, a, just a selfish legacy and whatnot. So that success and significance. So I've really kind of been latching onto that lately, both for myself and when I'm working with people as well. Your thoughts on that success and significance? Well, I really like that. I was thinking of a couple of things. Um, Marissa Peer, have you heard of her? She's, she's one of the top therapists in the UK and she has something very similar that all of us have a basic need that we want to fill that just says I am enough. Mm -hmm. And so one of the simplest thing that she breaks it down to is, you know, you're doing that, whatever it is, because you don't feel like you're enough. And so we start to do, sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. I always have to talk about that. Like I have dogs, they're going to bark. Uh, I always let people know if you hear it. Um, and so I think of that with her, but then I also think of Tony Robbins. He talks about the mm-hmm. top human needs. Mm-hmm. And so that that's right in line. And especially when, and this kind of goes to relationships too, being a perfectionist is a lot about focus on self and you can be so like tunnel vision focused on like my thing, I'm doing this. And especially as an entrepreneur, if you're building a business a lot, or if you, even if you're an athlete, you know, I was in the bodybuilding world for a while mm-hmm. and that tends to be very like, I'm going to eat my meals. I'm going to weigh my food. I'm going to do my cardio. And like, there's no room for anybody else in my life because I'm doing all of these things and I'm doing them perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I think to your point, it's really easy to box people out whenever you're in that perfectionism mm-hmm. mode, because you're trying to control everything, right. including the people in your life as well. Absolutely. I remember in graduate school, uh, first time with this one uh, specific professor and his opening intro to the class is, you're not all going to get A's and it's okay. Yes. And me coming from having from high school, I dang near perfect GPA. <clears throat> a little bit of my behavioral choices kept me out of uh, getting that uh, 4.0. But, uh, and I thought, you know, the audacity that this professor had to tell us that not everybody's going to get an A and that's okay. And <clears throat> guess what? He was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, well my, my, my first question was, what was your immediate thought? Because I thought about what I would think when somebody said that to me. What, what was your like reaction, gut reaction to that? I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that, that would have been my reaction to like, Oh yeah. yeah. Watch me do this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no me. Yeah. But that was a huge lesson. And I had, I ended up having this professor multiple times throughout my uh, program of study there and learned a ton from him. And I learned a ton about how to be a good person. Uh, more so than necessarily being a counselor. There was another prof that I credit for teaching me the most about being a counselor, but this one specifically teaching me about being a good person. And Mm -hmm. those lessons that I learned from him, I definitely took with me when I then was teaching at the graduate level and kind of having that same uh, life happens, right? And you may not get the best grade in this class and that's okay, right? Finishing sometimes is, is more important than finishing in a perfect way. And yes. you can always point out those students that really struggle with that because they want to fight you for every point that you may have docked, right? And <laughs> oh, man. So, well, I, and I can remember myself back. I mean, I, I wish I was doing personal development in high school. So I commend right. the fact, you know, I commend the fact that you coach younger kids mm-hmm. and like you, you have that psychology enough to be able to instill mm-hmm. those principles at mm-hmm. a young age. But I, I remember playing sports and like, I, I was a team captain. So you'd think like, oh, I'm an example, but I wasn't. I was mad if we weren't winning. Like mm-hmm. if we weren't winning, there was something wrong. There was mm-hmm. no nice, you know, mm-hmm. it was. And I remember my co-captain, I can still remember this to this day because we were co-captains 
and she was a lot gentler and was like, let's just have fun, everybody. And I was like, what? No. Like, and it was, and I always thought, you know, until probably today when I reflect on it, I thought I was right. I was like, no, we're out here to win. We're not out here to have fun or do our best. And I always had this concept that my best was not good enough mm. unless I won. Right. And so, and I think that comes from, I, I think we, we are born with a certain right. personality type, right? But then Absolutely. I think our beliefs are instilled in us from the, the adults in our lives. And it's up to us to identify it and say, is that true? Absolutely. And is it serving me? Mm-hmm. And then have the opportunity mm-hmm. to instill a new mindset and belief as we move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> in my reading last year, I came across uh, one of the books and I think it was probably uh, Jack Canfield's success principles, if I have mm-hmm. to peg it, but it's this concept that, and I've told my 12 uh, year olds, this the basketball team, there's this unspoken agreement when competitors come on to the field or the court right so whether it's it's if it's wrestling it's one-to-one or if it's a team sport right and that unspoken agreement is this that there is honor between these two opponents because there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser right and if you don't agree to that from the onset well there's no competition then Right. And so kind of getting the the kids to kind of buy into that. Look, it sucks to lose. Right. I get it. It's that burning hot poker sensation in your gut or in your heart. But there is honor in the fact that you stepped on the field or onto the court or onto the mat and agreed to this unspoken commitment. Right. That there's competition comes with honor. And anyway, they're 12 year olds. They don't get it. They kind of look at me like, huh, but. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I think of when I think of that, just to circle it back to a 12 year old male brain, which somehow I think I have, <laughs> I, I think of the movie 300. Mm-hmm. And for some reason I was talking to my boyfriend, I'm like, that's my favorite movie. He's like, but they die at the end. And I was like, oh, I forgot because, <laughs> because the, the moral is that whole thing of honor and like never giving up and mm-hmm. you just keep going. And yeah, they did die. So they did lose the ultimate loss, but mm-hmm. they did it with honor. Right. And so that kind of makes me, what it, what makes me think of entering the battlefield with honor and Absolutely. actually, you know, the, the one guy was a traitor, right? And so mm-hmm. it, it's a book. It's, it's not a book. It's a movie, but I felt <laughs> like it was, that's what it made me think of yeah, in terms absolutely. Of, of losing. Um, and now I see that all my biggest learnings have come from losing something. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I don't think you knew this since my last interview, but I've been fired and let go from three jobs in the past five years. Wow. And the first one hit me hard, hard. Like I was probably, it, probably in a little bit of depression, like clinical depression for probably a good eight mm-hmm. or nine months because mm-hmm. I had built up this, you know, a lot of money, making more money than I thought I could have ever made, which I think I hit that worthiness ceiling mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm not supposed to have this much money. Let me ruin mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> you know, which is what we do. And so that happened. Then I decided I was going to start my own fitness and nutrition business. Mm-hmm. And the goal that I set was I'm going to be a millionaire in one year, wow. which, yeah, I mean, I don't know where that goal came from, but again, it was kind of like you sitting with your professor, like, no, you watch me get this. Head, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. I will do this. And so I set myself up a failure, clearly didn't make a million dollars in a year because that's not the way it works. Um, ended up running my fitness business for about three years, doing mm-hmm. personal training out of my garage. Mm-hmm. Also had a part-time fitness gig. Um, 
was semi-successful at it. Like I remember I was doing my taxes. I made 17 grand, but 17 grand isn't enough to actually like live your life. Right. right. Yeah. And so I had to shut down my business and this was the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, well, I'm Cammy, the, the fitness person. Like, who am I now? And I, I went through all of 2019 redefining who I am now, now that I'm not this fitness person that I've been for the past 10 years. So, but all of that growth and development came from, I guess you could call the ending of an identity or mm-hmm. some people might, might call it a failure. Um, but I was just let go from my last job right here in December. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I'm ready to just do coaching full time. Like it, I felt such a shift in the way I thought about it than I did five years ago when I was mm-hmm. let from that job. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've just noticed that difference of the same circumstance can elicit a different response depending on your perspective. Right. Awesome. So that is a good segue. Cause I was going to get you to talk about kind of your progression to the point to where you're at now, where you're calling yourself a coach for recovering perfectionists. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so be- before I get further into that, uh, here's a question that was posed to me uh, four or five months ago when I was talking to somebody about mindset and they asked me, what is mindset? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of had to step back. Well, I don't really know. We yeah. talk about it all the time. It's this yeah. buzz phrase. It's what the gurus talk about. So my question to you, Cami, is how, how do you describe mindset? What, what, what is mindset to you? And I like this because I saw this in your, your pre-question notes. And I don't, I don't prepare. I'll be honest. I don't prepare. I'm just like, no let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it today and it made perfect sense the way that I see it is so because I come from a nutrition and fitness background, nutrition is what you feed your body. Mm-hmm. Mindset is what you feed your mind. Mm. So I think people just think whatever happens in your head is what happens and we don't have control over it. But the more I learn, especially about like, I listen to Joe Dispenza, like there's so much neuroscience out there that just says like, you can actually change reality with your thoughts. Absolutely, It's insane. You can change Mm -hmm. your brain chemistry. So that's what I think mindset is simply is just being really intentional about what you're putting in your mind and then identifying what you're actually even thinking. Mm -hmm. I think mindfulness is part of mindset because if you don't know what you're thinking, then how are you going to shift it? Absolutely. So I know there's some listeners that just checked out on us right now, (laughs) right? (laughs) This idea that we can literally bring into our reality things based on how we think about them, right? There's so many people that just believe that that is hogwash, that that is foolish. Uh, But I can tell by the way you just described that, right? And what I'm seeing in your body, in your body language, that it's absolutely true because you've experienced it right? You've seen it with your own eyes. You've seen it in the people that you've worked with. Yeah. So let me tell you a perfect example. And this is so, it's so hot. It's like fresh out the kitchen. So this just happened in December. I was, so in in my transition into coaching was I spent a good chunk of money investing in business coaches for a period of about four years, which led to me going, eh, like my P and L statement, my profit and loss statements, not looking too good. Right kind of in the red. Mm-hmm. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to shut down my fitness business. I'm going to go back to full-time work because I have a degree in molecular cell biology. So why not use it? I'm good at sales. So why not do that? So I spent 2019 in what I call the year of responsibility, which was grind it out, hustle, do your job, also continue to build your coaching business. So that's what I did for 2019. Mm-hmm. And I had this advertising job. First of all, 
I manifested that advertising job. We'll just talk about that. I was in this, this, uh, biotech sales job, didn't love it, but I focused so strongly on being really positive when I was there. And I remember writing on my calendar, I put a vision board on my calendar and mm -hmm. I put thank you on the vision board. And the thank you was signifying me writing my resignation letter and saying, thank you for this time. This was great, but I have a new job. And I put it up there and then, and I even wrote the date on the calendar with like a little star. And I was done and gone, had written my resignation letter before that date even happened. Fast forward into this new role, advertising, seemed great, you know, was great, good time, good time for a couple months. But I was starting to find myself not being able to get up in the morning, like my morning routine was off. I was just dragging, yeah. you know, when your energy is just like, this doesn't feel aligned anymore. On a Wednesday night, I had this kind of altercation with one of the clients and it just, it didn't okay. feel good. It didn't feel like I was serving anymore. It didn't feel like my job was serving people. It almost felt like I, I was kind of being a nuisance to people in my role. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to be this person. Sure. So I ended up, ended up like kind of getting aggressive, kind of in an argument with somebody ended up kind of crying and just getting emotional about the experience. Cause I didn't want to be that way. Called my boyfriend and said, Hey, I don't want to be at this job anymore. This is what it's doing to me. And how amazing he's like, okay, quit it. Just like without anything. And I was like, and I was like, wait, what? Like, cause I wasn't prepared for that either. He's like, yeah, it's fine. Like we'll figure it out. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to wait until Friday to put in my two weeks notice just because I don't want to do it awkwardly on a Thursday. I'd rather do it on a Friday for the weekend. On Thursday, I'm calling somebody in the morning just to line up another job to say, Hey, I might be, you know, I might be making a change. At noon on that Thursday, the next day, I had a scheduled meeting pop up with my boss. She pulls me into the office. There's an HR representative sitting there. Oh, goodness. <laughs> they merged the company and eliminated my position and gave me a severage package and gave me the entire month of December off. Wow. So that was the day prior I decided they didn't want to be there. God, the universe gifted me. Here you go. Here's a severance package for you. And I didn't even have to write that letter because it was just handed to me. Amazing. So some people still don't believe when I say that, but I'm like, I don't know how I can be more clear than that. Like, Absolutely. Coincidence. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge believer that uh, the world, you know, as we're experiencing it right now, everything that we have or don't have is due to your internal, personal internal vision for your life and the world around you. I, I'm a huge believer in that. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working with people, that's one of the first places that I'll start is, you know, tell me your vision for this, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me your vision for your kids. Tell me your vision for your career. Tell me your vision for your marriage. And most people haven't given it a single thought, right? Right. Talk about feeding mindset, right? Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. haven't given and it a I single thought. I think it, I'm trying to think of myself as a young kid and, and I think I keep going back there because I know you work with younger kids. Like sure. I was on track to be going down the path. I mean, I did every drug in the book. I smoked a lot of things. Like I was hanging out with the wrong people. One of the guys I dated in high school sold heroin. Like my life today doesn't look like it should have looked mm -hmm. right. Like based mm -hmm. on where I came from. Absolutely. My first step though, was to realize like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like I knew I wasn't supposed to be in that town with those people. I just knew something inside me. And when I was 19, I moved from small town, Western Pennsylvania to California mm. and I got out. And I think that's the biggest thing is your influences because people are just going to continue to reinforce what you already believe. Right. 
And you're all going to be like, yeah, that's true. And you're going to continue to do the same thing over and over again. So I was making a first step. It would be change that group that you're around. If you're not having success, get one person who's doing better than you and hang out with them as much as you Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That whole idea of, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Right. Yeah. It's so true. Again, these, these things, uh, uh, it's also on my list of stuff to do to write some books. And, mm. uh, one of the books I'm going to write is the title is guru speak. Right. So we hear mm. things like that, right. We hear things like, well, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to spend time with my wife or I'm not supposed to spend time with my boss. Well, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, the tagline is it's clickbaity, right? It's, uh, yes. uh, guru speak. And then my, the point of the book will to kind of break those things down into practical things. Here's what it actually means. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and for me, that specific one that again, I was a little fuzzy on what, what exactly does that mean when, and I was listening to somebody talk about it and referencing the same point, And they said, look, that person doesn't actually have to be a physical person in mm-hmm. your current network. Right. It could be an author that you're plugged into and that you're let's talk about again, feeding the mind. I was like, okay, well, I can get on board with that. I've been listening to a lot of this, right? And then, um, so again, helping people kind of break down some of those guru speak into what does it actually mean to to do this, right? So um, another thought that I had for you is, uh, what would you, going back to the work that you do, what would you say is, if there is a pattern to it, but what would you say is the solution for a recovering perfectionist? Like, what's that process look like? So I did this intuitively like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually in line with the things that Tony Robbins teach, like all the top life coaches teach, mm-hmm. which is your thought creates your outcome. So I actually sat down. I remember I was sitting on the ocean because I was just going to like my happy place at the ocean. And I was writing down everything that I believed about myself. Mm. Just every negative belief, mm-hmm. I can't make money, I'm too fat, I'll, I'll always overeat. Like most of them were body image related at that time. Uh, no one will love me. And I went at that time and picked a scripture that aligned mm-hmm. with the truth. And everybody's always in a different place. And I always argued, like I always was challenged with this of, of people going like, well, you should just read your Bible every day. Mm-hmm. I did that for years right. and I was still because it wasn't sinking in. Mm-hmm. So I, I've now learned that there's the version called the message, which mm-hmm. is like normal people language, right. which gives it, you know, gives it like you need to hear it. But it's, it's very similar to what you said, which is getting those thoughts in your head on repeat to switch to something positive. Absolutely. And knowing that the reason I'm a perfectionist is because I probably have an underlying sense of unworthiness related to some area of my life. And it may be, I'm a perfectionist in this one area, maybe not in another area, but something down the line made me feel like I needed to prove myself to somebody. So I really like identifying those beliefs, starting to write them down. And maybe you can't even think of them because a lot of times they're on repeat Mm -hmm. and they're, you're so familiar with them Mm -hmm. that you don't even know they're there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, what did you hear your mom say about body image? Or what did you hear your dad say about finances, whatever area you're in? Sure. Uh, what did somebody tell you about sports? You know, whatever it is you're trying to be a perfectionist says in and then go, is that actually true? I think mm-hmm. Byron Katie, um, loving what is that book. I don't know if you've, if you've read that one or I not, uh, it's kind of like woo woo. And it's, it, I was, <laughs> it lends itself to being a little more feminine, I will say, but 
it rocked my world because she asked this question, it is what I'm believing actually true? And then the second question is, what if the opposite was true? Mm-hmm. Which, is like, which is like, what? Mm-hmm. Because we get so attached to our beliefs. Because a, a belief is just a thought that we think over and over again mm-hmm. until we believe it. So we can just change that thought by repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say identifying your thoughts. Um, and then I actually record, because I have a tendency to not recognize how much I've done in a day because my to-do list is always there, right? right. Like I could always do, we, we could always do more. Mm-hmm. And that's everybody. You're, you're ever crossing everything off your list. So what I'll do um, is I'll actually record a voice memo on my phone and I'll talk to myself. Like just if I was like talking to a friend and I'll be like, hey, okay. Like, you know, and it sounds weird. I'm just, I'm usually sitting in my car and I'm saying, hey, okay. I know you're feeling really upset right now. But like, let's talk about what you did today. And you'd be like, oh, okay, you woke up, you worked out. Okay, cool. Oh, you worked on your website. Good. Oh, you actually booked that appointment. And then you're like, I actually did a lot today. Great job. Or even if it was a day where you rested, you're like, you know what? You were feeling really run down. It's okay that you rested. And a lot of times I'll just listen to myself, talk to myself, and I'll put it on voice memo. So I have probably 59 voice memos on here that are just me talking to Mm -hmm. myself. Um, And that's a way of self-coaching. Right. Yeah. And, and I would call that uh, having self-love, self-compassion, and then mm-hmm. having a habit of, of gratitude that's, that's actually focused at yourself there. Yes. Yeah. yes. And because we don't, as high achievers, typically perfectionists are high achievers. They kind of go hand in hand. We're doing everything perfectly and we're achieving 100% on everything, which is literally impossible. So we're setting ourselves for, up for failure every time. Um, but taking that time out to recognize what we've done and then celebrating that with somebody. I mean, even if it's just yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing is, you know, just like we found each other, I know a lot of people don't come from a great family or they're from a small town or there's nobody like, there's really no excuse these days because right. it's a Facebook group. Like <laughs> yeah. I've been to third world countries and people have smartphones. So I'm like, they're, they're okay. Like you, you are, we're connected. Mm-hmm. So getting involved in a Facebook group, getting an accountability partner, listening. I mean, I listened to Tony Robbins hour of power every morning for like a year till I started like thinking Tony Robbins thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's a good person to like emulate somebody you want to be like and start to think the thoughts that they thought to get to where they are right now. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be where he is if he was a perfectionist because I guarantee he his first seminars. I think he even said his first seminars, he had like, one or two people sitting in the front and like one of the people was sleeping or something, you know, like you just got to keep going. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm hearing loud and clear is daily habits, daily disciplines, ways of feeding the mind, feeding that mindset. Um, How do you work when you're working with your clients and your coaching clients, how do you get them to buy into that? I think the first thing is the pain has to be great enough to change, right? Because we're going to continue to go through our lives. If we're not feeling enough pain to change, we're, we're just going to keep going on track. So there has to be an internal factor that's having them ask the question or start to seek more or just like, hey, I'm depressed and I don't want to wake up tomorrow. That's where I came from. Mm-hmm. I, I remember going to bed being like, it's okay if I don't wake up. And I'm like, this is not good. Like, wow. this is not the life that I want to live. Mm-hmm. And so, and I remember reading the first self-development book I read probably 12 years ago or so was the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember the guy I was dating at the time, I like hid it from him because I didn't want him to think <laughs> there was something wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. like in my mindset, my belief at the time was like self-help is for people who need help is for people who have problems. And if I do that, then I have problems. But it's like, we all have problems. But me being a perfectionist, I wanted to always look like I had it all together. I don't have feelings. I don't have needs. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and another interesting thing is I was actually roommates with a psychologist in California. Yeah. And I remember her being like, you should talk to someone. I'm like, no, I shouldn't. And this was like, <laughs> you know, no, I shouldn't. But funny, like flip the script seven years later, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, you know, talking about your feelings is good. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'd say they have to have an internal something that's pulling them to want something better Mm -hmm. Um, because I can't make anybody want Mm -hmm. it. Right. But if you can start to even just see how this change is going to not only affect your life, but it's going to have a ripple effect. And it's going to affect your parents, your kids, your dog, your cat, your work life, whatever. When you can start to see me starting to shift and change my mindset, mm-hmm. although it seems selfish because I'm kind of doing it for me, it affects everybody around me. And I'm, this is where we get really woo I'm actually positively influencing the world because if we all start up leveling, we all start to have more love, more kindness, more generosity all of a sudden we start to make huge global impact from little tiny changes that we do in our daily habits. Totally agree. That's in graduate school for counseling. They, the program that I was in forces you to pick a theory. And in a nutshell, that was one of the things that caught me from the theory that I picked and it is called contextual family therapy is pretty obscure, obscure. Uh, A lot of people have never heard of it. But that was one of the things that, yes, we can look at the world and look at all the ways that it's messed up and problematic and case in point 2020, right? Depending on how you look at it. But this theory of counseling said that exactly what you said, right? That, yeah, you can be overwhelmed by all that, or you can start making a difference one person at a time, right? And so I I 100% ascribed it to that. And if we had lots of people just making a 1% betterment of themselves and others every single day well who knows what we could do uh on this planet so well and i think if someone's already listening to this podcast they've already taken that first step which is like i'm seeking i'm seeking to learn something sure i'm seeking to be open to something a different way of thinking um so i think it's more of the question of like how do we get these podcasts to those people that really need it who are not even to that point yet um and i think i trust that they will be guided to a person or a place or something that's just going to get them to that very next step. Sure. Because sometimes I was listening to something today, who knows a podcast that just says one of the most annoying things when you're not happy and when you're depressed, it's happy people. Cause you're just like, Oh, <laughs> shut up. Like right. your life is so great. Like, so it's hard to jump from like, I'm depressed, hate myself, hate my life to like, Oh my gosh, everything's rainbows and butterflies. So there does have to be that middle ground where it's like, how can we just get like, there's a book I think called 1% Happier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I mean, have, you've I'm sure heard of The Secret, The Law mm-hmm. of Attraction. Yep. So my favorite book out of Rhonda Barnes series is called The Power. And it's all about focusing on love. So if anytime you're in like a dark place or you're upset or anything, is focusing on what you love. And for me, if I just think of puppies, this is why people watch cat videos, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I just think of puppies, it makes me happy. 
and it elevates my emotional state. Mm -hmm. And it goes right back to everything Tony Robbins says, which is every change comes from a state. Your, mm -hmm. your emotional state is what helps you move forward. And we can get stuck in that negative cycle of anger, depression, anger, depression, or we can focus on like, Hey, is there anything I love about this situation? Like, is there anything I'm thankful for? Oh, I have lungs. I have lungs that work, right. which we take for granted. I had a friend whose, whose brother had cystic fibrosis and every breath he took was like breathing through a straw. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about that. Sure. So taking time to really focus on things we love, things we're grateful for, even when it seems like there's nothing to be grateful for. Absolutely. When I'm getting uh, somebody bought into taking up a habit of journaling gratitude that's part mm -hmm. of the instructions don't take anything for granted right yeah. if your drive home today was smoother than usual there you go right you've yeah. got something to be grateful for right yes. and it, it, it's, it's like a fun game after a while right. yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it, it really is you can make you can see like how can i make myself happy in this moment sure so one of the other things cami that i noticed about you is you seem to specialize in vision work and creating mm. vision boards. Tell me yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm actually looking at mine right behind <laughs> awesome. me right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that I chose that. I I'm very visual, I'm creative, I'm artistic. So I think it always lent myself to that. And again, like I'm going back to 10, 11 years ago before I was doing all this life coaching stuff. I just started intuitively, like I'm gonna make a vision board and putting it up on my wall. This is when I was in California and I was manifesting this move to North Carolina. And this also comes from fitness background too. So I'm going to do like the positive and negative of mm -hmm. visioning. Mm -hmm. So, and I did this for years, detrimentally visioning. So in the fitness community, a lot of times we'll be like, oh, I want to look like this girl on the cover. And we, we use that or this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Who's probably on some kind of illicit drugs. Again, setting an unrealistic expectation mm -hmm. that we're not going to meet. And then we get depressed because we're not meeting it. So I used to, I'm, you may or may not be familiar with Jamie Eason, but she was like on bodybuilding.com all the time. She had blonde hair. She was about my height. And I remember being like, I'm going to be her and I'm going to be the same weight as her. Like I was like pretty hardcore and I'm going to be like her, right? Setting that really high expectation. But every time I looked at her, the emotion that it invoked was me was I'm not her. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. Right down that same track again. Mm -hmm. So you can use visioning. Again, it comes back to the emotion that it creates in you. Is it creating you reminding yourself that you're unworthy, you're not good enough, that you're a fat slob? Or is it getting you excited about the potential of what could come? Mm -hmm. So when I teach visioning, you know, I, I'm a proponent of writing down goals. I think writing and journaling and putting it out there is so important. And there's, I know there's been studies on actually putting pen to paper increases the likelihood of it happening. However, for many years, I kept writing the same goals over and over again that I started to realize were not my goals. They were just like, oh, I'm supposed to do this because that's my degree or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's just the track I was going down. Somebody, somewhere, I thought I was supposed to do it. So when I vision, I do a meditation beforehand and I love talking about meditation because again, two years ago, I was like, what's meditation? <laughs> but it's, it's moving down the scale of the brainwave between the conscious and the subconscious. So our conscious mind, I know you know this, is 
where your goal setting takes place, which is like, mm -hmm. I'm going to run the marathon. I'm going to look like Jamie Eason. But our subconscious is where all those limiting beliefs are that say like, well, you can't look like her. Oh, well, you can't run a marathon because you're not a runner. And those are the operating systems underneath us trying to achieve those goals and our perfectionist mindset going, well, why aren't I not achieving it? Oh, because all of these beliefs are blocking you from achieving it. Yes. So two things is sometimes we're borrowing other people's goals for ourselves when they're actually not our goals and they're not connected to our heart. So I help us drop from the head into the heart. Mm -hmm. So through that meditation process, we drop down through the, the brain waves into the theta state, which is right before you go to sleep, which is when you're more in tune with your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And then we just start ripping stuff out of magazines where we're like, I don't know. I pulled out a baby goat and I pulled out the ocean. I don't even know why it doesn't matter. Like you're just pulling out things that make you feel good. Cause the whole purpose of the vision board is not the million dollars or the house or the car. Those are right. great things. It's when I look at it, do I feel good? So if the car makes you feel good, great. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. But if the car makes you feel like, oh, I'm driving a junk beater right now, and it reminds you that you don't have that car, sure. then that's not a good vision to focus on if it's making you feel less than in the moment. Right. Awesome. I love that description of, of your vision work. I, uh, a while ago, ran across some, some research that was done on vision works. So I want to check this out with you to see if it makes sense and based on your experience. Uh, but oftentimes people will vision the end goal or the end product, just like we were talking about. So if they, you, you want to finish a marathon, right? So they'll, they'll envision themselves crossing the finish line. Mm -hmm. And some of this research is pointing out that just like you described, sometimes that can have a, the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. And so some of this, this one article was suggesting that, yes, you need some of that, right? Mm -hmm. You need some of that, that vision of end product state, but you, more importantly, what you need is to vision the hard work that it's going to take to actually achieve that goal, right? So mm -hmm. going back to the marathon thing, it's actually just visioning, lacing up your shoes every single day, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. that's akin to doing the work that you're actually going to need in order to get to where you want to be. What, what's your take on that? Yes, I totally agree. So, and I had on, I ran a half marathon last year, oh, first time. Thank awesome. you. And I've always been a sprinter and mm -hmm. I've always said I'm not a long distance <laughs> runner. And so I was like, well, I guess it's time to challenge that belief and mm -hmm. like show people that it's possible. So in the same way I had on my vision board, I am a runner. Mm -hmm. That was part of it. And I had a person running. Um, you have to envision who you need to become in order to run, to cross that finish. Sure. So yes, it's, it's more so embracing and calling yourself that right now. And I mm -hmm. can tell you, I've done this since forever since, so 2012, I remember was the first time I was in San Diego and I was like, I'm going to be a fitness model. And I went and I changed my Facebook page and I changed it to fitness model, <laughs> fitness model slash nutrition writer. And then I made a comp card. That's basically just a model card with pictures on it. And it said San Diego fitness model. And I went out to the LA fitness expo and I was handing out my comp cards, telling everybody I'm a model. Who's to say I'm not a model. I had pictures on a card and it said, I'm a model. Sure. Right. And, and Facebook said too. Yeah, exactly. Confirm <laughs> it. Right? right. And so I went around to all the booths because I wanted to be one of those booth girls that worked in the booth. Right. So I went up to everybody. and was like, Hey, I'm a model. You know, I'd like to be a promotional model, blah, blah, blah. Well, I finally walked up to this one girl. Her name is Wendy. And she's like, I shook her hand and she could tell I was smart. And I, you know, shook her hand and said, Hey, you know, I'd really like to, to work in your booth. And she ended up contacting me. I ended up working in the booth. 
they had a very scientific product. So I was out there telling people about dying tripeptides and getting out there. And she goes, you know what? We actually have an opening in the sales team. And I ended up getting interviewed and getting a job and getting moved up to Irvine, California from faking it. Right. But I truly was a model. Like I was like, I am here. I am. And then that's what got me into the, the fitness industry. Second thing I said in 2012, I told that company, I said, Hey, you know, I'll be a fitness model for you guys. If you want to like, I'll be in an ad for you in a magazine. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to use people. And I was like, okay, well I'm going to be published as a fitness model. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I am. And I put it on my, I remember I put it on my vision board and 2018, I think was the first year my ad was put in oxygen magazine, muscle and fitness, hers train for her and maybe one other one. Mm -hmm. And I like, remember that moment where I was like, I just walked into Barnes and Noble and grabbed it off the shelf and like my ad was in there. And so again, back to the point of like, you're claiming it, but you're doing the Mm -hmm. do to get you where you need to get, right? You know, you, you trust, I always say you trust how it's going to happen, but the connections all happened to where, Hey, I knew this was going to happen eventually. And it did. Sure. So I think the challenge is, and this is interesting for a moment talking about smart goals. And I'd like to flip this back to you, actually, (laughs) you know, they teach you on smart goals to be very specific Mm -hmm. and put a timeline. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I have a coach that, you know, had me do a a 10 year vision on my business and my timeline as well. And I think answering my own question, that may be the way to do it. But my million dollars in one year was clearly not a good timeline Mm -hmm. for my expectation. (laughs) So in your experience about being specific, because I've done more of the put it out there, trust, and take consistent action, mm-hmm. but also I've been very open to how things manifest and show up for me. Sure. Whereas in the past, I've been very controlling about it needs to be this way, this way, this way, and this timeline. Absolutely. So what's your question? So my question is, do you think it's relevant to have very specific mm-hmm. goals? I certainly do. And I think that the magnitude of the goals, though, need to, as much as possible, uh, mirror your current mindset and be stretched just a little bit beyond that, if that makes sense. Right. And so, so as a coach, you know, you know, we have to be careful sometimes about how much we unleash on maybe a new client because it can overwhelm them and it can shut them down and then we kind of lose them and then we end up creating more work, right? And so for me, it's kind of monitoring where their mindset is and then kind of dosing that based on how much I stretch their goals around that. Does that make sense? Yes, because that's always been a challenge for me when when people that I've been mentored by are like very specific about your goals, your house, the doorknob, the stairs. And I'm like, I don't exactly know how the stairs in my future house are going to look. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it almost blocks me. So I like your point to where like, can we just get to the next step, the next mm-hmm. year? Mm-hmm. Can we vision ourselves a year down right. the line? What could that look like? Right. Six months, yeah. 90 days. Yeah. Um, so I like that. So a, I'll call it a trick. So in counseling school, what we will teach, what I was taught, especially on the beginning, you know, one first session to third session is you want to set out a goal that pretty much is going to be doable for the client. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you say you set out something small, something very, uh, very doable for the purpose of them experiencing success in that. 
right? So that way, when they get that little taste of success, they can come back and report it to you. You can process through it. Then they're going to be more open to you to try something bigger and, and better, you know, as, as the relationship unfolds, right? So that's a little tactic that I'll still use um, when I'm working with anybody or even with my own family and my kids are, mm-hmm. if they're listening to this, is that uh, it can be wise to start out something very small, very doable that is going to bring about a sense of accomplishment, success, and then buy into the process, right? Um, but I'm with you that, again, as a coach, right, it's our job to then stretch the mindset, right? And it's our, it's our job to help stretch some of those goals, right? Because if we, if our approach stays the same to where the, where our clients first met us, right, we, we've got to kind of keep pacing, right? And then I don't know about you, um, but sometimes I have the experiences, oh my gosh, they're outpacing me. I better get on the yeah. ball, right? Yeah, I, like, I got to start doing yes. <laughs> right? Yes. No, I, that's, it's such a good way to, to have where you're like, huh, well, you're, you're really doing it. <laughs> good <laughs> <Right>. job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think I had that experience this morning because I have an accountability partner that I talk to weekly. I met him at a retreat in New Zealand and we were talking about something that we talked about, which is our, our loop list or mm-hmm. our, that to-do list that just causes you to just drain your energy because you're always thinking about doing it. Like, I didn't do it yet. And I was like, you know what? And perfectionists tend to be this way, all or nothing, right? Like I'm just going to go all in. And especially it's the new year. People are doing this with nutrition and fitness right now. We know it. And we know it's not successful long-term, right? So I said, well, I'm going to do one thing off of my loop list each day. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was like reasonable. Mm -hmm. And he kind of scaled it back and was like, how about you do one thing each week? And instantly I was like, Oh, like I can do that. And then it also instantly made me feel like an overachiever because I'm like, well, what if I do too? Like, and then I started to get excited that like I can actually overachieve in my goal, which is what I'm used to versus setting that goal that we know is going to cause me to fail probably by day three because I'm going to get sick of it. (laughs) Right. So, so that was a good example that I use in my own life as well. And this is what I love about coaching too, is this tends to come up and I'm sure it comes up in, in counseling as well. It's just like, I'm not a perfect human. Like mm-hmm. I'm just displaying my imperfectness for all of you to see sure. and showing you how I've worked through it. Absolutely. Um, and so I'm always being coached and consistently growing and consistently like being blessed by beautiful situations that allow me to grow and learn mm-hmm. um, and be challenged so mm-hmm. that I can use them for my clients as well. Yeah. yeah so that concept of loop list, I like that. I hadn't, ever heard of it like that, but you know, getting caught in that loop drains the energy. So it came to my mind though, too, when you were talking about how uh, your helper there helped you just do one thing a week, right? Yeah. So going back to guru speak, right? It's the question of how do you eat an elephant? Yeah. One, one bite, bite at a time, time right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what does that actually mean? Again, we hear that, but that was a good example right there. He, he yeah. helped you figure out how to eat the elephant one, one yes. bite at a time. Yes. And I think it goes back to identity. And this is what I'll do with my clients mm-hmm. too is, and I've done this for myself and it's, it's fun to imagine your future self or like your alter ego. Like I think Beyonce has somebody, mm-hmm. Sasha Fierce, you know, like when you do that, you're actually stepping into mm-hmm. that personality of that person and you're being that person. Sure. And so I'll use that when I'm coaching, like pick a spirit animal, pick your person and and what are their attributes like, and then just start acting like them for a day and just do Mm -hmm. what they would do. And then it starts to become a little bit more fun instead of such like a a task that we're doing. And I think the identity where I was thinking about is being an overachiever 
our identity is doing more mm-hmm. than what's on the list, mm-hmm. which eventually leads to burnout, which eventually leads to three weeks of doing nothing, which eventually leads to <laughs> feeling really bad about ourselves, which, you know, like, right. so I've done that cycle many times where it's like, how can we just, you know, do good enough that day? Like sure. just do good enough that sure. day and then move on to the next day. Absolutely. So you mentioned being in New Zealand. I think in one of the episodes that I heard you giving an interview on, you talked about being in Bali. Yes. So I've been to, let me clarify, I will go to New Zealand. I've been to Australia and I've been to Bali. Um, Yeah, but I have, so again, manifested two friends in New Zealand, put a Facebook post out there. I want a friend in New Zealand. Couple months later, all of a sudden I'm going to a retreat in Bali. Now I've got two friends in New Zealand. So that's, that's been done. Um, but I love travel. I actually have a tattoo of a kangaroo on my ankle because um, I traveled to Australia right mm-hmm. after college. Um, and my vision is to host retreats in Australia, New Zealand, Bali. And actually, I went to Rwanda last can I, year. Can I pause you right now and just have just a, a small moment of silence for Australia, right? This is January 2020 and the whole place is on fire right now. And so just put some thoughts out for new for Australia right now. Thanks for doing that for me. But it's terrible to see those pictures that are there of the people and the animals. And I have a, I have a little uh, app on my phone that tells me when enough people tune into a police scanner, Hmm. right? So if 5,000 people tune into a particular police scanner, that it gives me an alert. And it was probably maybe two months ago. I noticed like 20,000 people are, are chimed or tuned into this one scanner and I pull it up and I don't, I don't recognize, like, I don't, right. that's not a city I recognize. And I don't, so I had to Google it and it was Australia wow. and it, it was, it was people, there was a, a fire that had, you know, gone out of control and was causing havoc, you know, for people. And I was like, Oh my, that's where I became aware of the whole fire issue on Australia. Right. But anyway, and so. if we could even ask people if they're watching this recently mm-hmm. to donate as Absolutely. well, any amount, like, any amount can help mm-hmm. so much. It's absolutely, it's devastating. Yeah. So anyway, you were telling us uh, the places that you have been and where oh. you're going. Yes. I, well, I went to Rwanda last year, which mm-hmm. is in Africa, wow. East Africa. Absolutely. And I'm sure you know the history with that mm-hmm. as well, but it's actually a beautiful, a beautiful, small little country in Africa. And what I learned the most there is a story of reconciliation, mm-hmm. a story of forgiveness in such a short time and they've really rebuilt. So again, it always goes back to, you don't have to be your identity. And like a whole entire country has, has overcome. And if people don't know, there was a genocide there between two very similar, but different tribes. Um, and the Hutus and the Tutsis. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And they were just, they were just told that they were different. That's what it really, what it was. They were told that you're different and you're different. And so you should hate each other Mm -hmm. is really what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, but learned so much about just the story of forgiveness and talking about it and confessing, saying, sorry, this is what I did. Mm -hmm. And then having that forgiveness. Um, And and that's a lot of the work that I did when I went to a retreat in Bali was about, you know, I wanted to go to a business retreat, learn about my business. (laughs) And we worked on forgiveness Mm -hmm. for four days and intimacy and values and all of this really deep inner work, because that's what shows up in your business and your life, because it all spills over. But this is like my call to action for anybody who knows they need to forgive someone. Mm-hmm. 
to, to get on it. Uh, there's it. a there's a book out there called Radical Acceptance. Have you heard of this one? I haven't. Or Radical Forgiveness. Okay. There is a book called Radical Acceptance as well. Radical Forgiveness is very interesting. And I'm only going to tell you I've gotten halfway through the audiobook. But this is what it talks about. And there's like four levels of it. I'll invite you to, to listen to it to kind of see the different perspectives. But all in all, the concept of the book is, again, back to what if what I'm believing, the opposite is true. So a lot of times when we have things that we've done and we've created a story about, about ourselves or things that other people have done to us, and we've created a story about them and what it means about them or about ourselves, mm -hmm. this concept of radical forgiveness is what if this atrocity and i don't want to take anything lightly because there can be little things to forgive there can be really huge mm -hmm. things to forgive like we're talking about in rwanda um but it's what if and this kind of goes back to faith and believing that there's that everything works for good in some way even if that one thing is bad what if we had an agreement our souls had an agreement that we really wanted to learn compassion or we really wanted to learn patience and that this thing in our lives happen to develop more compassion or patience mm -hmm. or love or gave us that ability to see something in a different perspective because of what we went through. Sure. So that's when it starts to become like, Oh, okay. So not that this thing was okay. Not that we should say that, say that, yeah, you should have done that or that was a good thing to do, but how can we now take responsibility in our current state for what we're making this mean in our lives. Mm -hmm. That was one of the biggest things I learned from a business retreat in Bali that okay. also I think just goes over into so many other areas of life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah um, in 2018 through 19, my wife and I bought into a personal development seminar and forgiveness was something that was uh, put front and center for me as well. And the, what the speaker was saying that if, you know, if you're struggling with anger, right. And so for people that are listening to this, uh, this is, was very true for me, but if you're struggling with anger or if you have rage, it's an issue of forgiveness. And I remember when I heard that here, here I am sitting in, you know, not, not knowing what to expect at all from this. It was, I was very kind of looking around and not realizing kind of where I was at and what I was doing here. And I have a PhD in counseling, right? I, I mm. worked through lots of problems. I had to work my own process. But well, if I'm honest in that moment, yeah, I, I, I did still struggle with anger. Mm -hmm. And this lady is trying to tell me that it's an issue of forgiveness. And mm. it was kind of a, uh, a mental battle there for a little bit, right? But uh, fortunately, the side of me that says, shut up and listen, mm -hmm. you're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. It may be something, it may be nothing, but it's worth checking it out. And mm -hmm. so here's, here's what I discovered. And it was huge for me. And it's something that I add into the work that I do with people, especially around anger. So although it was true that I had forgiven people in my life from my childhood that did things to me that, you know, shaped me forevermore and not necessarily in a good way. I actually never named what I was forgiving them for. Mm. That makes sense, right? And and what those 
actions towards me did, and there was more, you know, I, I would call it psychological torture. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about limiting beliefs that are there, right? Right, um, right. But I, what it left in me was this belief that I wasn't lovable, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, on the, I wouldn't even say on the surface, the surface and even, you know, significantly below the surface, I had forgiven these people, right? I forgive you for, for doing this to me, but I never named what the wound was, if that makes sense. Right. And so that's what I learned in that moment. Um, you know, going through that process, it was definitely more than a moment for sure, but mm-hmm. learning to yes, forgive the person, but also name what the wound was, what for me was huge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things crystallized in a good way in terms of, where anger would still get the best of me. It has Mm -hmm. far less influence and control over my life at this point, um, just by making that kind of next step to doing forgiveness work. Mm -hmm. And it's so like, even when I start to think about forgiveness, it makes me feel a little sick where you're just like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Like I always believe that that resistance is there to show you that you're, you're supposed to push through it. Like just Mm -hmm. like lifting weights, you know, like it's not supposed to be easy. That's what, that's why it's called growth. Mm -hmm. So I commend you for doing the work. And it's interesting because I have a lot of male friends in the coaching space and this piece, this emotion of anger seems to come up Mm -hmm. very often. And I always identified, I was a tomboy. I always had male friends growing up because I think I identified with that anger piece as well. What I used it for was to your point, had somebody very just verbally abusive, similar to you. I'm not lovable. People don't like me. Therefore, I'm going to be angry and mean towards them first Mm -hmm. so that I can reject them first before I get rejected. And then you go over there and I'll be over here. We can all be separate. Um, But it's interesting. And I'd like to ask you a question on this because I was about to write a post on anger yesterday. So Mm -hmm. thank you for giving me the the content because I was like, I don't know if, if I really have the right perspective on this from the male perspective, but my belief is, is the way that society builds men up is that you keep it inside. You're a tough guy. You don't cry. You definitely don't talk about your feelings. So therefore, if you feel sad, if you feel disrespected, if you feel hurt, you're just going to project that as anger because that's the only acceptable emotion for a man to emit in the world. Is that, does that feel true? Absolutely. So my, so how do you, how do you break through that? Right. So my, <laughs> my counseling mentor taught me, um, you know, over 15 years ago that there's four primary feelings, right? And so I differ, differentiate between feelings and emotions. I'm weird like that, but, um, so pro, four primary feelings, mad, sad, glad, and afraid, mm-hmm. mad, sad, glad, and afraid. So just like you said, the way that society conditions boys to, basically only have one acceptable feeling state, which is mad or or being angry, right? Mm -hmm. It's not okay for boys to be sad and or cry, right? It it could be okay to be happy, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's okay. Afraid, probably not, right? Right. Because we need- But even if you're too happy, they might label you. Right. You know, like- Something else, right? Yeah, exactly. And then give you another label. Right. Um, So I'm always helping parents in the work that I do in youth corrections as well, um, helping people and it's not just kids right grown adults don't have a developed relationship with mad sad glad and afraid right Mm -hmm. so my counseling mentor said i don't believe in a ton of absolutes but 
if there is an absolute about the work that I do with people and the work that you're going to do with people speaking to me, people, no matter what the problem is, either have an over-connection or under-connection to one or more of their primary feeling states. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in terms of anger in men, it's an over-connection to mad or, or angry, right? Mm-hmm. When potentially somebody else would look at the situation and say, oh, that's incredibly sad. Ah. But if they have an over-connection to anger, they're going to interpret uh, glad, sad, and afraid and funnel it through the anger channel, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is also the reason why I absolutely have disdain for the term and the concept of anger management, mm. right? Because who is the biggest recipient of anger management? Well, it's probably males, right? right. And you go in and you hear a message that says, it's not okay when you're angry, right? Right? You shouldn't be angry. You mm-hmm. need to control your anger. Well, what I think you're in fact telling them is that you're not allowed to have any emotional experience. Right. Where we should be stepping. So at one of my books that I was supposed to write last year that I'm going to write this year, it's called, it's called campfire anger. Nice. Right. So it's this idea of how how do you take out of control Australia type wildfire anger and bring it into something that is productive, Mm -hmm. that is bonding, that, has purpose that it isn't destructive. Sure. You got to be careful with it. Right. But a campfire, right. There's s'mores, there's storytelling. And so that's uh, a book that I'm going to write. That's going to be called campfire anger. That's beautiful. So I love that for a couple of reasons, Mm because I I will be checking in on that book. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Accountability. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, But also that, that was kind of the area that I was going to, because I said, I talked to this, this guy each and every week, my accountability partner, he is, he's awesome at sports. He's awesome at business. He is driven. He is passionate. And a lot of that, I feel like it, go, it borders with that drive, that anger, that determination kind of back to 300. Mm-hmm. Like they had to have some like really fire to get things done. And mm-hmm. that typically is a masculine trait of like, I'm going to get things done, right? I'm going to push through. So I agree with you in labeling it as bad is not necessarily true because mm-hmm. if someone's attacking your family, mm-hmm. you better get angry, right. right? Like that, that, that's what allowed us to evolve as a human race mm-hmm. is like men got angry and killed other people so that their family stayed alive. Mm-hmm. Like that's really why we're here. So, and I think we could go off on this whole tangent of like the <laughs> feminist movement and then, sure. you know, all of this, but like, I think now it's like, guys don't know what to do. Cause we're like, now they want us to be soft, but now we, so I think it's really awesome to have these conversations in an intellectual way with men, mm-hmm. because it's important to be like, you can still have those feelings and it's okay. Mm-hmm. In the counseling world, it seems my perspective has been, it's, it's usually female driven in terms of like, there's something wrong with you. We're going to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. I think that's what keeps men a lot of the times sure. out of therapy and counseling. Cause like, well, I don't want to just get told that I'm wrong. Sure. Why would anybody want to have that? Mm-hmm. So having life coaching experiences that are, it's not necessarily a problem or a disorder, or it's just, I want to be a better human. Sure. And back to what you said, like, how can I be a good person? Mm-hmm. And then we start to take personal responsibility for how we want to show up in the world. Not mm-hmm. because somebody's pointing the finger and saying what you're doing is wrong, but you're just like, Ooh, yeah, I can see this is 
this is not really enriching my relationships sure. in any way. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Okay. Yes. Now I've got to do it now. So let's put it out there. It's my yep. manifestation. Yes. Excited so, to be a part of it. We have uh, a few minutes left before we need to end this, but two things that I wanted to loop back to that you mentioned in terms of your process and your experience. And one was going back to vision work again, where, and to me, I heard it as a declaration, right? The things that we declare about ourselves and the path ahead of us, uh, the more that we believe those things, the way, the more that we make those things a part of our a habit feeding our mindset, right? Um, that's how we bring those things about into our life, into our world, right? There's there's an interesting piece of research, and this is where I, you know I'm constantly um, amazed at the the intersect that happens between my academic professional world and counseling and the research, and how many things are put in awesome plain language for everyday people to latch onto in the coaching world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about that, I had an aha moment. Um, and so this actually comes out of uh, people saving for retirement. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the studying that in that when you have a concept of your future self to our subconscious, it's actually a stranger. Mm -hmm. Does that make, we don't know that person. Yes. Right. Um, we're not sure what they're about. We're not sure if we like that person. We're not sure if that's somebody that we can trust. Mm -hmm. Right. So when it comes to something as critical as saving for your retirement, right. Uh, we don't want to give that future person that we don't really know very well, five mm -hmm. bucks. We, we don't want to do that. We might give them 50 cents, but we, we're definitely not going to give them five bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And when, so when you were talking about that, um, that identity, right. And, and mm -hmm. how important that is in terms of doing vision work, that's the thing that kind of came to my mind. So when you were talking about it, it's like, Oh, you're making friends with that person that you want to be right. Yes. By, by choosing those declarations. Yes. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I had an epiphany on the flip side. So about two years ago, a friend turned me on to Dave Ramsey mm -hmm. and, and if people don't know Dave Ramsey, so Christian financial advisor, you could say. Um, and he takes you through this series called the baby steps. And mm -hmm. part of it is building a savings of a thousand dollars. The second part is getting out of debt. And anybody with a college education here probably is sitting around with some debt. So that was my experience. And uh, I know a lot of our young people are experiencing that too. And I had it had business investments. So I was really looking at like my debt, right? And a couple mm -hmm. things about this. I don't want to go on a tangent too far, but I've stopped calling it that. Mm -hmm. um, and I've started to claim cash positive 2020. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying I have paid off all my debt, I'm still claiming my and debt. And it's like, ugh, it's icky. It doesn't feel good in my body. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying cash positive 2020 because that feels great. And sure. then I'm thinking about how that can actually manifest itself. But I did the whole thing where you turn in your car because Dave Ramsey's like, get mm -hmm. a beater car, right? That's right. Yep. So I did it. I got who I call affectionately call the golden goddess. She's a 2003 Hyundai Sonata and she is gold and beautiful. And uh, I think two years ago I had turned in my leased car and my, my, my car payment was $285 a month. And my plan was to put that $285 a month towards my debt and like be really far ahead with my debt. Mm -hmm. and you can tell how I was speaking of this that I didn't really do it because my plan I was, was. <laughs> right. Right. And because I was like vague and like, yeah, I'm going to do this. 
Well, I saw a Facebook post of my car two years ago. I actually got mad at myself two years ago. Again, because it was a different person where I was like, how could you? You screwed me. Like, so what it did was it convicted me now in my present that I don't want to have that same feeling in my next two years future of looking back and being like, hey, dumbass, you're not taking care of us. Right. So it was like almost like I, like I traveled in time in that mm-hmm. moment where I was like, I'm in my present. I saw my past. Like, and then I see my future and I could see it all from the perspective of like, we have to help each other out. Mm-hmm. Like we're the same person, but we're going to be in a different scenario. And I'm really excited to sit with my future self and be sure. like, you did it. Like, Absolutely. nice. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the other thing that I wanted to loop back to was when you were talking about um, going from meditation to get to different parts of your consciousness, to approach your subconscious and then going into your vision work, mm-hmm. right? So I am a believer in uh, Miracle Morning. So I do savers mm-hmm. uh, pretty much, uh, you know, I try to do it every single day of the week. I'm probably 80% there on vacation. You know, I still do it. Um, and I'm in groups on Facebook where people are trying to, you know, get into it. and They're trying to figure it out and whatnot. But I, I do that same thing, right? And so I will take my silence, which I, I read scripture for silence. So some people might pick and say, well, that's not really silence. But for me, that's what I do. Uh, I read scripture. I go into my affirmations, mm-hmm. right? And then, my, then I go into my vision work, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you were talking about doing this meditation, I thought, huh, to, to what extent am I actually working in that same process? But I take my affirmations and funnel it right into my, to my vision work. Where right. sometimes people's affirmations and vision work aren't necessarily linked together in a, in a meaningful way, if that makes sense. So when you were saying that, I was like, Oh, is that what I'm doing? Am I tapping into different layers of my consciousness? Well, so you, I would love for you to check out Joe Dispenza if you haven't, because he's a, he's a chiropractor who got in a, uh, he got hit by a SUV while riding a bike and was about to be paralyzed through meditation and through basically thinking himself healed he healed himself essentially mm-hmm. he does brain scans mm-hmm. so you would love to hear and he has mm-hmm. a book called becoming supernatural he has a book called breaking the habit of being yourself and he has another one that you'd love because it's very heavy on the science called you are the placebo mm-hmm. um and so he actually will do brain scans on what level are you in so you're you're one that we're, the brain that we're walking around in day to day is gamma it's like mm-hmm. awake processing thinking right we're typically always thinking about something right below that is beta so beta might be like you're watching a show you've always watched and it doesn't take that much thought so you're kind of like dropping down a little bit which is why a lot of people will watch mindless television when Absolutely. they get home because they're dropping out of gamma into beta and then in between that is alpha, which is just a little bit less. So it might be like when you're daydreaming or just kind of like looking out the window, like you're just like staring, you know, like, you know, when you get in those phases mm-hmm. and then right below that is theta, which is right before you're about to fall asleep or right when you're waking up, kind of like that dream state where you're just like not really awake yet. Um, so it's a great time to listen to affirmations, meditations, scripture. You know, I know people that listen to the Bible before they go to bed. You might listen to a meditation that says, I am enough before bed that's getting in your mm-hmm. subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the mornings, it's different for everybody because I always have to go back to, you know, my old fitness world is like, you have to do what you're going to do 
if that makes sense. So like if, if you're going to fall asleep, if you try to wake up and do it, then it's probably not going to work for you. So you might need to change your routine until you find something that works. So for mm-hmm. what I did originally, I needed, in order for me to become a morning person, because that was a limiting belief, this is a perfect one. <laughs> I was voted, this is a good, this is my one I use all the time. In high school, you know how they have like best hair, best eyes, most likely to succeed. Mm-hmm. I was voted moodiest in the morning, oh, wow. which, is, which is not even a category. They made it up for me and Clarence because clearly we were not nice people. <laughs> um, but I addressed that limiting belief and started saying, I'm going to be a morning person. Well, I couldn't just get up and sit on the couch because I would fall asleep. So I couldn't mm-hmm. like, I tried doing like scripture and reading, but I would fall asleep. So then I found out I need to get up, put my shoes on, go outside and walk. Mm-hmm. And then I would just listen to my affirmations or Tony Robbins or something while I was walking. Right. So I guess, I don't know if I answered your question in terms of brain waves, but in, if we're speaking about morning routine and starting one, which I think for most people, it's pretty challenging because mornings, sure. you're not, if you're not gifted with that physiology, you know, some people wake up bright eyed and bushy tailed, no coffee, and they were born that way. Others of us have to actually put effort into it and claim it and, you know, really work the process. Sure. So I would say if you're, you're attempting to create a morning routine, you're going to have to try a couple different things till you figure out what works, sure. whether that's sitting down, drinking coffee, walking, meditating. Yeah. Um, but it's over time, you're, you're absolutely changing your brain with new neural pathways Ooh. and programming it with new thoughts in your subconscious. Absolutely. Awesome. <clears throat> well, thanks for giving me feedback on my morning routine, but uh, yes. that was, that was my thought that huh, maybe I am, um, you know, hacking my consciousness by doing the way I do it with my morning routine. You probably are because you've, you've now created a neural pathway where you're like, I sit down, I do this, I do this, and you've created this. So you're just going to flow right into that state. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about habit that after you do it for a while, your, your brain will be trained to just go right there very sure. quickly. Awesome. Well, Cammie, I'm going to transition into closing out this interview with you. And so my project is called The Upgraded Life. And it's that idea that people easily have conversations and engage in efforts into upgrading things like your smartphone, like your car, like your TV. But we often don't think about just your life, right? And if you aren't happy with your life, if you aren't getting the results that you want, we don't really have natural conversations. We do because we're coaches, right? But the typical office banter isn't like, hmm, I think I need to upgrade my life, right? right that just right. becomes awkward. But if you say, I'm going to upgrade my phone, there's all kinds of conversation behind that, right? And so I want to flip that. I want people to talk about ways that they can upgrade their life. And when I talk about the upgraded life, it centers on mindset, your personal mission, and then movement. So we have spent a lot of time talking about mindset, which I'm really grateful for you and your perspective that it's that everyday daily feeding of our mind. That's what contributes to our mindset. Uh, I know your personal mission from what you told me, right? Is that you love to help the recovering uh, perfectionist, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing that I really want to do each and every time when I do an interview on this podcast is give the listeners something that they could finish this podcast wherever they're at and think of one thing that they can do to start upgrading their mindset. So from your perspective and the work that you do, we've talked about recording your voice, right? We've talked about vision work. We've talked about listing out all of the crummy limiting beliefs and then starting to challenge them. But so 
you can repeat one of those things or come up with something totally new, but what's one thing that listeners can do to improve or upgrade their mindset from your perspective? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and still nah. Tony Robbins, still sure. Tony Robbins one. I, I would say change your state, get up off the couch. Mm. Like that's one of the quickest things you can do is change your state by getting up, doing a push up, doing a jumping jack, like do five burpees and tell me if you're still mad. Like you're, you've already changed your state. So I think sometimes when we're sedentary all day and then we try to go shift and upgrade our life by being sedentary and sitting mm -hmm. down and writing, that might not give you the shift that you're looking for. And because you don't feel the shift, you might not continue the work. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that's why I'm drawn to fitness. And I think that's, I mean, that emotion is motion. Like I said, that's what Tony Robbins says. So mm -hmm. take a step right now, get up and go for a walk, go grab a drink of water, see what it does to change mm -hmm. your state. And then start linking that with some of the other things that we can yeah. do. Audio, visual, all of that stuff. Start putting it in your mind. Mm -hmm. And Tony Robbins is also big on that, that breath work too. Like yeah. in, in that moment, just taking that breath in and feeding, pumping your body full of oxygen. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be something that, that works as well. It's what I teach my uh, athletes, you know, yes. at, at the free throw line, get that oxygen in, into your belly. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. And you start to get your body into it. I mean, you could start to, you can make yourself feel so mm -hmm. great by getting change of state physiology. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Totally appreciate that, Cami. So, tell the people that are listening to this how they can find you how they can connect with you in ways that you uh, can be a benefit to them sure so they can find me on my website camikennedy.com so it's c-a-m-y kennedy like the president.com and you can also find me on instagram at cami kennedy i do give free coaching calls i've transitioned this year to giving two hours for free i saw that I that is amazing Yep. And I'm inspired yep. by that. I was like, so, oh man, yeah, I gotta do the so, same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so not to one up you, but my coach mm -hmm. gave me a book and I just said, you know, what's your philosophy on coaching? And he gave me a book called the prosperous coach mm -hmm. and it's Steve Chandler. And he just says, give like, mm -hmm. just, and, and that's been my philosophy over these past two years with trusting God to provide is like, you know what, just give. And if nothing else, people are making shifts. And then Absolutely. they might come back and be like, huh, I might want to work with her or I might refer somebody to her. So Absolutely. That, yeah. that, that's all I'm doing. So, so just make sure people heard if they connect with you, you're going to give them a two hour coaching session, yes. strategy session. That's amazing. Yes. Super yes. generous. Like I said, you challenged me there and I'm totally with you, right? That the more that we take care of people, the more that we uh, support the needs of other people, what comes around goes around. Yes. And let me say one more thing. I have a podcast that needs relaunching. It will be called Cami Kennedy Podcast. I'll have you on it when I relaunch it so you can hold me accountable for that as well. I would love to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was we so will, great. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we'll have more conversations like this because it was, it was a lot of fun. I know. I'm like, wow, the time flew. <laughs> now I know why people do four-hour podcasts because yeah, yeah. we can just keep talking. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Cammie. I appreciate it. Thank mm -hmm. you for having me. Now that was a great show with Cammie Kennedy, and I can certainly vouch for her suggestion about changing your state. If you find yourself in a funk, no matter where you're at, you, there's things that you can do to change your actual state of being. Like her suggestion of doing burpees, you can do some jump, jumping jacks, push-ups. There's a lot of different things that you can do to literally jolt your system into a different state of being. And that can be all it takes sometimes to get you back on track. 
If you want to catch up with Candy Kennedy, again, go to her website, CammyKennedy.com. That's C-A-M-Y-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y.com. And as always, if you want to know more about the Upgraded Life Project, head on over to NickSotelo.com, where you can catch up with everything that I'm doing with my website, my blog, and my podcast. I'm going to give you one more thing that you can do as well. You can text with your phone the word Cami, C-A-M-Y, to this number, 503-607-8727. And when you do that, I'm going to send you all of her contact information in just